Thanks, Phil. Good morning, everyone. My name's Graham. I'm the minister here. Uh, thanks for coming. It's great to see you all here and, and celebrating this uh, wonderful day together. Um, we can, of course, celebrate Jesus' resurrection every day, but it's good to get, get, get together and do that. Uh, let me pray for us. I'm going to ask God to do something truly miraculous in the next give or take 20 minutes or so, and that is that the God of the universe speaks to us. He speaks to our hearts and minds and he challenges us. So how about I do that? I'm going to pray for that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, glorious day this morning where we get to celebrate um, that Jesus, Lord, you are alive. Lord, we pray that you would indeed speak to us, help me to be clear, help us to listen well and challenge us, Lord, about the, the wondrous thing it is that you rose Jesus from the dead. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm not quite sure if it's irony or it's sort of maybe it's God's sense of humour. I don't know. But here we are. It's, of course, it's April Fool's Day, isn't it? April Fool's Day. It's Easter Sunday. And we're talking about a man rising from the dead, Jesus Christ. Um, and the topic is Jesus is not a myth. It's no joke. Uh, now, if you were to fill in that Jesus is sentence, as you can see up there, the, the blank, how would you do it? Well, some people would actually fill in that sentence and say, Jesus is a myth. That's what they'd say. Uh, he's a hoax. He's a complicated April Fool's Day prank. I don't know. So, friends, here's our, here's our plan today. Our plan is that I, I want to do a bit of myth, myth busting. Okay, a bit of myth busting. That's what I'd like to do. Bust a myth or two about Jesus. Because Jesus is, is not a myth. Uh, this is no joke. Now, to do this, as I thought about it during the week, I did a bit of homework, as you need to do, and so I got out and I, I watched an episode of Mythbusters. I thought that would help. Uh, it didn't help at all, um, and it reminded me of why I didn't watch the show in the first place. But anyway, so to get us in the mood, I thought I'd bust three common myths just to keep us going, and then, then I thought we'd move on to the much more the myth busting of much more significance. Here's the first one. You know, you've heard it said that goldfish, goldfish have only a three second memory. Have you heard that? In fact, there's a TV ad at the moment which plays on this theme that goldfish have a three second memory. The Sultana brand is the ad. It's a myth. It is a myth. The truth is, goldfish, I'm told, uh, can respond to training and reward. <laughs> They can. Now, I'm not quite sure, quite sure if they can sit and roll over and play dead. Um, you can try it. I don't know. But the, the thing is, apparently, they can learn. That's the first one. What about this one? The belief that cracking your knuckles leads to arthritis. Oh, that's been around for a while, hasn't it? I'm going to tell you, a myth. It's a myth. Um, it's, it's more about gas in the joints or something like that. Look it up if you care. Um, but... <laughs> It doesn't cause arthritis, okay? The only thing it will cause is tension in the home, as some people <laughs> really, really hate it, not to mention any names. <clears throat> Michelle. Um, that's my wife. Um, <laughs> my kids get in trouble for that. Here's the last one. What about the, uh, the five-second rule? So if food drops on the floor, you've got five seconds to pick it up before it itself picks up any sort of bacteria or any deadly disease. Um, myth, you've got 10 seconds. No, I'm sorry, that's a joke. No, no, apparently you've got one second. 
Anyway, we, I gave by about a 15 second rule in my house, but it's okay. Um, well, they're a bit silly, but, but true. Here's, here's another one. Jesus is a myth. He's a spiritual, mythical figure. People say he's a fictional character. Well, I want to respond to that this morning. Uh, as we finish up, really, if you've been at church for a little while, we'll finish up our series on these Jesus is statements. So I want to respond to that, respond to this myth about Jesus. This is the way I want to do it. I want to bust the myth that Jesus is a myth. It's the first thing. The second thing I want to do is I want to address the resurrection because even if we're convinced he lived and died, which many, many people are, uh, so what? Well, what difference does that make? What makes him worth listening to? Well, the answer is his resurrection. That's what makes him worth listening to, that he is alive today. And third, if the resurrection is true and is no myth, and therefore Jesus is who he said he is, well, that'll reveal some things about God to us, and it will also guarantee some things that, well, nothing else can. Okay, worth listening to, I hope. So, let's bust some myths. Here's the first one. Number one, that Jesus never really lived. He's just a myth a story made up to control people and give people a false hope. Some people will say that. Well, the truth is you won't find really any worthy historian who will believe that. Now, we don't want to turn today into a history lecture, but what I'd like to do, and I want to keep it fairly brief and encourage you to do some more reading if you'd like, but I'd like to share two quotes from, to you from ancient historians, one Roman and one Jewish, uh, neither were Christians who wrote of the existence of Jesus and significantly, significantly they wrote very close to the time of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. Here's the first one, a guy called, uh, a Roman historian called Tacitus. I hope you can see that up there. Yep, it's pretty clear. He writes around 115 AD and he lived obviously before then. He said, Nero, a Roman emperor, substituted as culprits and punished with the utmost refinements of cruelty a class of men loathed for their vices whom the crowd styled Christians. Christus, uh, Jesus, the, foundation, the founder of the name, had undergone the death penalty in the reign of Tiberius, be sentence of the procurator Pontius Pilate, and Pernicus, uh, uh, sorry, a superstition was checked for a moment. Hard to read this. Anyway, <laughs> only to break out for, uh, uh, once more, not merely in Judea, the home of the disease, <laughs> but in the capital itself, where all things, should say, horrible and shameful in the world collect and find a vogue. There you go. Hard to read all that, but you get the picture, don't you? You see what Tacitus is referring to. He's referring to Jesus, he's referring to Christians, and he's referring to how Christianity spread after his execution. Very interesting stuff. What about this guy called, uh, quite well-known, Flavius Josephus? Josephus wrote the, a history of the, the Jewish people. It's massive. Uh, it, he, um, uh, it's called, you can see there, it's called Jewish Antiquities. He wrote around 90 AD, and he mentions Jesus twice. The, in the first context, he mentions Jesus. He speaks of the charges laid against him by the high priest Ananus. Um, he also mentions Jesus' brother James in that first instance. However, it's his second mention of Jesus I want to quote in full. This is what he said. About this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, 
For he was one who wrought surprising feats and was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. When Pilate, upon hearing him accused by men of the highest standing amongst us, had condemned him to be crucified, those who had in the first place come to love him did not give up their affection for him. And the tribe of the Christians, so called after him, has still to this day not disappeared. As Josephus from Antiquities. So, uh, I, fairly compelling there. The truth is, there's really no, there's no credible student of history who doubts the existence, the existence of Jesus. Let me quote a couple other people too. A guy called Gerd Ludemann, a uh, wonderful name. He's, a, 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 he's a, quite a well-known atheist historian. And if you want to get some time, look up his de debates on YouTube uh, against William Lane Craig, and he's a Christian apologist. Very much worth looking at. William Lane Craig is a very, very smart man um, and does a great job. But Gerd Ludemann, this atheist, he says the evidence for Jesus' life and, and execution is indisputable, in his words. Uh, Professor Gerd Thiessen and Annette Mertz from the University of Heidelberg. I don't know what it is with all these Germans, but anyway, um, let's keep going. They're leading critical scholars and by no means Christian apologists. They make a similar point. Let me read their quote out to you uh, just to, to make this clear. The mentions of Jesus in ancient historians allay doubt about his historicity. The notices about Jesus in Jewish and pagan writers in S3, that's a source uh, above that he's quoting, especially those in Josephus, the letter of Serapion uh, and Tacitus, indicate that in antiquity the historicity of Jesus was taken for granted, and rightly so. All three know of the execution of Jesus. The execution was offensive for any worship of Jesus. As a scandal, it cannot have been invented. Now, it is fairly overwhelming. Now, I want to say that's just tip of the iceberg stuff. Uh, we could go on and on, but I don't want to make this a, a, um, a history lecture. Okay, so well and good then, but what about the resurrection? What about the resurrection? For if Jesus did not rise from the dead, as the Bible claims that he did, then as the Apostle Paul says, as we read just a few moments ago, our faith is futile, it's a waste of time, we didn't rise from the dead. So is the resurrection then just a myth? I want to give three reasons why I believe the resurrection and three reasons why I can make the same confession if you're here on Friday that the, the centurion made at the foot of the cross and he said surely this man Jesus is the son of God. Uh, three reasons why I think that Jesus is God's son and, and alive today and I think three reasons too which go a long way to bust the myth. Here we go, here's the first one. Well the tomb was empty. This is really und undisputed uh, but some, some people say that, well, 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 let's just say people did go to the wrong tomb. Let's just say that. Maybe they went to the wrong tomb. Well, both the Romans and the Jews wanted, who wanted to see the end of Christianity, I think they would have gone to the right tomb. If people went to the wrong tomb, they would have gone to the right tomb and produced the body, uh, closing this Christianity case once and for all. So that doesn't really work, does it, that they went to the wrong tomb? Uh, perhaps someone stole the body. Let's look at those options. Would the, Jew, would the Jews steal the body? Well, there's little reason for the Jews to steal the body, is there? Why would they do that? Uh, they wanted Jesus dead and buried. What about the Romans? Would the Romans steal the body? Why? Why would they do that? There's no motivation for them to do that and hide the body. Why would they want to continue this disease, as Tacitus called Christianity? 
Maybe the disciples stole the body and then started this myth of Jesus. But 11 out of the 12 disciples, history tells us, died for the truth of the resurrection. Why die for a lie? Some argue that Jesus faked his death on the cross. Uh, The swoon theory, it's often called. The theory sort of goes like this. Jesus fools the hardened, experienced guards in charge of the executions that he was dead. Then, after surviving the flogging and the crucifixion itself... He's buried and wakes up in the tomb. He rolls away the heavy stone, which would have ranged between 500 kilograms, maybe even to three tonnes. And then he appears to his disciples and hundreds of others and convinces all of them that he's come back to life again. It's unconvincing. So the tomb of Jesus was empty. There's one piece of evidence that, that strikes me. What about the boldness of the disciples? And we can throw in the Apostle Paul here as well, whom the resurrected Jesus appeared to. 1 Corinthians 15 mentions that. The disciples were whipped. They were beaten. They were flogged. They were thrown in jail and eventually killed for the truth of the resurrection. And remember, these were the same disciples who you might remember, were hiding away from Jesus in dark back rooms for fear of being caught and associated with Jesus and ending up with the same fate as him. Those were those disciples who denied Jesus uh, before his death. So what happened? What happened that changed them? Uh, What made them so bold as that they would risk their life, they would give their life? Well, the answer is that Jesus was alive. Jesus had risen from the dead. He is who he said he is. How about this final reason, this final piece of evidence that I'd like to mention at least is the explosion of Christianity. It spread exponentially following the resurrection. See, people saw Jesus. People witnessed Jesus. His resurrection, he's appearing again and people died for it. And Christianity exploded, it spread. Now, there's much more to say, really. Um, I'd love to spend a bit more time here and talk about it a bit more. But I, and I'm, at the end, I'm going to go and recommend a few books and resources that you might want to delve into if you've got some more questions or you can talk to me as well. I'd love that. But I reckon there's a bigger question. There's a bigger question. If you're convinced like me, or you maybe you're still thinking, you maybe you're still thinking Jesus is a bit of a myth, or his resurrection might be a bit of a myth, I want to ask this question. I think it's really important. Is that is why? Why does it matter? <laughs> why does it matter anyway? That Jesus rose from the dead. Well, there's a quick answer, isn't there? The quick answer is because Jesus would be a liar and and a fraud if he didn't, because he promised that he would. He promised that he would he would be betrayed and rejected and have his trial, and then three days later rise. Said at Mark eight. But let me answer the question like this. Why does it matter? Well, because the resurrection reveals and the resurrection guarantees. The resurrection reveals and the resurrection guarantees. Let me explain. See, the resurrection reveals that God is faithful. God's plan all along was to reverse the effects of sin. God promised in Genesis chapter 3 that he'd crush wrong once and for all. And so God promises to send his son to defeat sin and death. He didn't grow weary of that promise. He didn't get a little bored. You know, he didn't get distracted. 
Now he kept his promise. He made a promise and he controlled the events of history so that at just the right moment, Jesus Christ would come and fulfill what had been promised. Now the resurrection also reveals that God is powerful. Think of all the authority you would need to have control over all the situations, locations and relationships in order to guarantee that Jesus would come at a at the precise moment and do what he's appointed to do. Think about that. There's some power there, isn't there? And could there be a more pointed demonstration of power than to have power over death? 1 Corinthians 15, 55, uh, Jesus says this. He says, uh, the Apostle Paul where our death is your victory, where our death is your sting. See, by God's awesome power, Jesus took off the grave clothes and walked out of that tomb. As Romans 1, 3 and 4 says, by the power of, the resurre- of his resurrection, we know, Jesus who he, we know Jesus is who he said he is. See, look at that. Regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God, how? By his power. Uh, in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So it reveals God is faithful. The resurrection reveals God's powerful. It also reveals that God is loving. Why would God go to such an extent to help us? Why would he do that? To give up his only son for us who have rebelled against him. Why? Because he loves us. That's why. He loves us. 1 John 4 uh, verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. So the resurrection reveals that God is faithful, that God is powerful and that God is loving. But the resurrection also guarantees. The resurrection guarantees eternity. Friends, no matter how mundane or routine and slowly progressing your life seems to be, It's marching towards a glorious conclusion as we trust in Jesus. God promises to followers of Jesus there'll be a moment when God will raise you up out of this broken world into paradise where sin and suffering will be no more. God guarantees that because of the resurrection. He guarantees eternity. The resurrection also guarantees security. No matter how unpredictable and out of control your life might feel right now, Jesus is reigning. He's alive and he will continue to reign until the final enemy is under his feet. Now that doesn't mean that you will avoid the groaning of life as Romans 8 speaks about, the groaning of life in a broken world. But it does mean there's nothing that can separate you from the loving, protecting hand of God. The resurrection guarantees security. The resurrection is why the Apostle Paul and any believer can be convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And finally, the resurrection guarantees delivery. It's the last thing. No matter how hopeless and weak you think you might be, you've actually been provided, as you trust in Jesus, with all the grace you need to make it to the end. One author puts it really succinctly. Listen carefully. 
future grace always carries with it the promise of present grace. Did you hear that? Future grace always carries with it the promise of present grace. It's a good line, isn't it? It's true. God will provide everything you need until you see him face to face. And so 2 Peter 1 verse 3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So, friends, there you have it. Resurrection reveals, the resurrection guarantees. I guess, um, I guess that, for me, in a nutshell, is why I love Easter. Now, I love the holiday, yes. I, love an East, I don't mind an Easter egg or five. Um, that's fine. Uh, but I love that. I don't know about you, but I love that. Because at Easter I'm reminded that Jesus is no myth. I'm reminded why he came, and I'm reminded of all that we have as we trust in him. Friends, perhaps today there are some people, people who want that too. Who want that. Who are now convinced that Jesus is no myth. That he's alive. That he is who he said he is. And because he's alive, his promises are sure and trustworthy. These promises we see there, they're sure and trustworthy because Jesus is alive. If that's you and, and you want that, you want what many of this in this room have as we trust in Jesus, I'm going to invite you to do something a little bit radical. In fact, we're all going to do it together. I'm going to encourage us all to do it. We're all going to pray. We're going to pray a prayer. And I'll put it up on the screen and have a little look over it as, as I talk about it just for a moment. This prayer is a prayer that we can say to, to Jesus, I want you to be in charge of my life. I'm sorry for the way I've gone. I'm sorry for my, my sin. And I want to change direction. And I want to live with Jesus as Lord and who he said he is, uh, the risen Jesus. So why don't we do that? If you want to pray that prayer in your heart, just repeat it quietly in your own, in your own mind. You can say amen in your own head um, as we pray. Then why don't we all pray this prayer? And, uh, and if you've prayed it personally, then I want you to, I want you to tell me at the end. It would be great too. But um, let me, let, let's pray. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you that you sent Jesus. Thank you that you died for me and my sin. I'm sorry that I have rejected you. Please forgive me. Thank you that Jesus is alive today as proof of your love, faithfulness and prayer and power. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that by your resurrection you guarantee my future with you forever. Please help me to live with you as my Lord. Amen. I want to say, if you prayed that prayer for the first time and you said, I want to change direction, I don't want to keep living my life away from Jesus, I want to live my life for Jesus and walk with him. He's going to be my boss. He's going to run my life. If you pray that for the first time, I, I would love it if you would tell someone. And, and there's a great celebration in heaven if you did that. Um, there's no doubt about that. Tell someone. Tell someone that you came with today. That'd be good. Uh, talk to Grace or me. Um, there's a little comment in, the, in, your, in your bulletin there. There's a little comment card. You can, you can tear that off. And there's a little white, backs in the, white box at the notice board at the back there. You can fill that in and we can keep in touch with you and help you out with that really fantastic decision you've made. Um, or if you've got a question, you can use that little card as well and I'll get back to you. 
If you want to keep reading and thinking, there's lots I've probably brought up today. If you want to do that, then um, again, you can use those comment cards and put it in the white box. But here's some great resources that I've, I've referred to before. Uh, that Life of Jesus is a, is a video as well as a book. Um, really good stuff uh, by John Dixon. The Case for Christ is a, is a book by an American guy called Lee Strobel, who is an atheist who became a Christian as he investigated everything. Um, great website, the Centre of Public Christianity. And then down the bottom for younger minds, um, really good website, answers a lot of questions about Jesus and who he is and his claims. At the back, I've got a little book called The Essential Jesus. It's actually just Luke's Gospel. If you'd like one of them to take home today, you can. They're just out in the foyer there. If we run out, make sure you see me. I really do have a whole box in that room. Um, <laughs> so if you want to grab one of them, and there's some good answers to questions there, but mostly it's just Luke's Gospel. And that's the best thing you can read. It's just one of the Gospels about Jesus. How about I pray, and in a moment we'll, um, we'll, uh, we'll sing a, a great song. And the final verse of this song says this. It says, See the empty tomb today. Death could not contain him, once the servant of the world, now in victory reigning. They're great words they are. Builds a great song. We can praise God, uh, praise the one who saved us. How about we pray? Father, we pray, um, as in a moment we indeed lift our voices to you, the one who is seated on the throne, Lord Jesus, the one who saved us, the one we know who is alive and reigning. We pray, Lord, that today we would, uh, we would follow you, Lord, we would recognise you as the Lord of all who is alive and reigning and is indeed alive. Um, Father, we, uh, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sin. We thank you that he's alive, he's alive today. And, and uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.